This is an ABC podcast. Hey, have you ever heard of vaginismus? Ow! Sorry, sorry. Uh, did I do something wrong? No. It's not you, it's me. There's something called vaginismus. My vagina's like a Venus flytrap. Maybe you caught that episode of Sex Education, where Lily has it, and it really gets in the way of her plans to have sex for the first time. It's this painful condition where your puss basically denies entry to all visitors. No tampons, no pains, no fingers, and if you try, it's pain city, baby. So how do you cope when your cave of wonders never wants to open? Is there anything you can do about it? I'm Nat Tenchich, and I'm here to tell you, yes, there is hope. You will learn exactly what vaginismus is and why it happens, how you can get help, how to have great sex with it, and how to support a partner who has it. So first up, what the heck is vaginismus really? What's going on in your body and why does it happen? Pelvic floor physiotherapist Janetta Webb says, firstly, to set the record straight, it's a real physical problem. You know, a lot of women think, is it all in my mind? Do people think I'm making it up? But it's actually an involuntary contraction of the pelvic floor muscles, which are the muscles that go around the vagina and also around the anus and the urethra. And that contraction happens in response to something going into the vagina. So it could be a finger, a toy, penis, tampon, even, you know, speculum. But it's mostly a protective mechanism that's happening either in response to fear or in response to pain. And it's actually pretty common. Around one in 10 women have vaginismus. That's about as many who have endometriosis. And it could be more for many other vagina owners. And yet we don't talk about it. And if your vagina starts freaking out every time something goes near it, it's pretty hard to know what's going on. And it's alienating to talk about. But even more so because the conversation is dominated by penetrative sex and how much you can't have it. It made hookup listener Rose feel like as a lesbian, she couldn't talk about her own struggles with the condition. So I first kind of noticed that something might be up um, around the same time that I like started my period. Um, I started it quite late, so all my friends had already, you know, started using tampons. They'd all told me how easy they were to use. But I found that whenever I tried to use them myself, it was really, really difficult. I often experienced like a fair bit of pain when I was trying to insert them. Um, I found it pretty impossible. They kind of like made me feel quite like sick and anxious to use, to be honest with you. And Yeah, I think, you know, just the whole, like, every single time I've tried to use them, um, it's been the same experience. So at first I thought it might have just been something that was wrong with me or I just didn't know what I was doing. But, you know, it's seven years later now and, um, yeah, still no luck. Wow. And, like, was that really, that would have been really confusing and and shocking. Did you manage to sort of talk to anyone else about what you were going through? Um, A little bit, yeah. I spoke to my friends about it. and like my mom as well, but I don't really think many of them could relate, um, which is totally understandable, you know, I think as teenagers as well. Like, But yeah, it was a little bit isolating because I found that uh, I was missing out on things if I couldn't use them, um, which is really frustrating as a young person. You know, I didn't want to let my period stop me from doing anything, but then 
um, it was, you know, just a bit of a painful or impossible experience to use tampons. So I just kind of felt a bit stuck. So tell me then about um, how your vaginismus has like impacted your sex life as a lesbian, you know, like how has it had an impact on you? Yeah, so it was kind of whenever, you know, I was having sex with a partner and they would go to like finger me or if I would finger myself, um, it's just impossible. It's basically like uh, this brick wall, you know, like blocking anything from entering. And so I think that kind of was just really frustrating. Yeah, just like isolating because... I didn't really know where to go and like I didn't have anyone else that had these shared experiences. What were your um, partner's reactions to um, your vaginismus in these um, situations? To be honest with you, I've never really had an open and honest conversation uh, with a sexual partner. I have never been in a like long-term relationship, so I've never really gotten to the stage where I felt comfortable like fully sharing. I mean, obviously they knew to an extent because they were there, if you know what I mean, but like yeah, I never really felt like I could fully open up about it. Um, I was quite embarrassed, to be honest. Yeah, for sure. Did Did you ever see um, someone about it? I did end up seeing a doctor recently. It was this year, actually. Uh, to be honest, I had a bit of a negative experience, actually. Oh, what happened? Um, I Yeah, so I went to see a women's sexual health doctor and I kind of sat down and explained my symptoms and explained my experiences and I said I thought that it could be vaginismus um, because I'd done a bit of research online. But the doctor just seemed, I don't think she had any idea what vaginismus was. Um, She didn't seem to have heard of the term. And basically she kind of performed like a, a bit of an examination. Afterwards, she sat me down and she basically said like, there's nothing wrong with you. I can't physically see anything wrong. There's no reason why you shouldn't be able to experience penetration. Yeah, she was like, you know, next time you're having sex or trying to use a tampon, like just relax, basically. Wow. How did that make you feel? <laughs> Pretty just like frustrated, to be honest. I kind of felt like my experience was really invalidated. Um, and yeah, like, because I'm someone that, like, I consider myself quite a confident person. Um, you know, I'm quite confident in my body, but this is just the one thing that I really do struggle with. So I think uh, having a doctor kind of invalidate the whole experience and not really um, hear me out. Yeah, it was really frustrating. It sounds like a really difficult situation that you've been in. And it is such a hard thing to talk about. The fact that, like you're saying, um, you're not seeing this yourself represented in the discourse around it and the help for it. Um, what would you like us to help you with on the hookup and um, how can we improve the way that we talk about uh, vaginismus? Yeah, um, I think, I mean, for one, I would love to hear about, you know, ways that I could go about trying to, I don't want to say fix it because, you know, it's not like I'm broken, but um, maybe just like help. And because I have heard there's ways that you can, you know, make the symptoms kind of go away or at least become a lot less you know problematic for you so yeah I would love to just hear about the things that I could do to make things easier for myself I think also just making sure that the conversation is quite inclusive because yeah like I said I've seen this notion online a lot that like women who have vaginismus can't have sex um which is just so problematic because for one like not everyone with this condition is a woman and also two I think that just promotes like a really heteronormative definition of sex and yeah well it's something I've struggled with definitely and at times it is really isolating I think also like I'm still able to have great sex uh just because it's not penis and vagina like penetrative sex it doesn't mean that it's any less valid 
Yeah, anyone with a vagina can get vaginismus. It doesn't matter if you're straight, queer, trans, or non-binary. So is it always a fear of dick that makes the puss snapshot? Janetta, help! Unfortunately, there are lots of things. And Rose's story is a really common one that I hear um, that, you know, right back to the first time that I tried to use a tampon, um, it was really uncomfortable. And then since then, I've never been able to comfortably use tampons. So, so that can often be, you know, the first time that it happens. But, you know, any initial painful sexual experience can then set up an unhelpful cycle of, um, you know, a fear of pain, then an anticipation of pain, and then the pelvic floor muscles around the vagina contract um, almost as this protective mechanism, which then in itself, you know, causes more pain. And especially if we're not ready or we're not aroused, we're not getting all the changes that happen with the female arousal response, like the opening of the vagina, the lengthening, the widening, and of course, the lubrication. Um, but also, you know, sometimes just a lack of knowledge of, of anatomy, because if you think about, you know, female genitals, they're all tucked away, you know, so none of us really see our genitals. So I'd really encourage everyone, if you haven't, to grab a mirror and become really comfortable with your anatomy so that you know exactly how everything looks. Unfortunately, if people have experienced sexual or physical or emotional abuse um, or are, are frequently in a fight, flight or freeze state, um, that can contribute to vaginismus. And also any cultural or religious or family beliefs that, that perhaps have discouraged uh, knowledge or openness or even seen the, the genitals as, you know, unclean. If we're already experiencing pain, like pelvic pain from endometriosis or vulval pain from thrush, or if there's a fear of pregnancy or even a lack of privacy, you know, when we're wanting to enjoy intimacy, but, you know, just not in the right situation. And also, you know, people who experience bladder leakage, for example, um, you know, might constantly be trying to hold on because if they're wanting to enjoy intimacy, you know, that's pretty nasty if you're also concerned that, uh, that you know, there could be a, a loss of bladder control. And I think one of the, the, the um, you know, final things that I see a lot is uh, overtraining of, of the core muscles. Um, so the abs and the pelvic floor muscles, perhaps in, in um, activities like, you know, gym, ballet, you know, even, you know, lots and lots of um, core exercises at gym, they're not bad, but our pelvic floor muscles have got to be able to work, but they've also got to be able to let go. Janetta also says pregnancy and childbirth is another common reason that people might develop vaginismus. So many things happen when we give birth. Um, you know, for many people, they've had uh, stitches. Uh, so there you know, will have been some discomfort for a short or, you know, even longer time after giving birth. Also, um, if you're breastfeeding, your levels of oestrogen are still quite low in the body. And oestrogen is one of the things that helps with vaginal lubrication when we get turned on. Um, and so if our oestrogen levels are low, you know, it, it it's a, can be a little bit harder to get turned on and certainly to get lubricated. And also often with a new baby, we're tired and, you know, we really want to have sex and we want to enjoy intimacy, but it's lower on the list of um, of priorities uh, in a day. And also, you know, our bodies 
changed a lot during pregnancy and when giving birth. And so we can be a little bit unsure. Is everything going to work the same way afterwards? Am I going to feel the same? Is my partner going to feel the same thing? So, you know, that these changes are not uncommon after childbirth. It's hard to know where to get help with something that feels so unconscious. Like you might really want to have penetrative sex or use that tampon. So how do you stop it from happening? Well, the good news is it's treatable. Janetta says it starts with a visit to a GP who's got an interest in sexual health because many of these GPs are used to talking about vaginismus. If you do find someone, whether it be GP specialist, even physio, who you don't seem to have a good fit with or they don't, you know, uh, seem to uh, understand what you're talking about, then, you know, find someone else because there are plenty of people around that can help you. And I think doing what Rose did, going along and saying, I think I may have vaginismus, um, as uh, challenging as it can be, is a really good place to start. And don't worry when you first go along to see any of us that there are going to be, that there have to be painful examinations because um, there are plenty of things, as I'm about to tell you, that that are important to start with. The first thing is just knowledge that sex should never be painful. And not only should it not be painful, but it should feel fantastic. It should, you know, be really pleasurable. So that's so important. And if we are in a um, relationship, it's important to involve our partners, you know, in in increasing knowledge about vaginismus and, um, you know, and how it can be improved. Then we've really got to reduce the fear cycle. So so really not re-triggering um, the, the pain and the things that are causing our pelvic floor muscles to be overactive. So, um, you know, initially, even just general mindfulness relaxation techniques can be really important. And, you know, speaking to our partners about, you know, th- this is what I like. And, you know, I tend to see intimacy and talk to a lot of my patients about intimacy as being a bit like a menu. So, you know, there's entree, there's main course and dessert. But at the moment, we just don't have this one thing on the menu, but there are so many other things. So that instead of shutting down intimacy and avoiding it because it may then lead to the painful experience that, you know, you can really have lots of fun and, you know, find intimacy to be really enjoyable and pleasurable, and then that's more likely to lead on to, you know, comfort later on. But then, of course, we've got to retrain the muscles and the brain. And the first thing is being able to get all of the muscles in the core area, so particularly the pelvic floor underneath, the abdominals in the front and your diaphragm on the top to all be able to move really well. So the first thing you've got to be really good at, as funny as it sounds, is belly breathing. Um, so, so really being able to get your diaphragm moving well and get your belly moving well. So if you all sit there now as you're listening and put your hands down on your lower belly and try to do some belly breathing. So as you breathe in, almost, you know, imagine that, you, that the air is going right down into your belly and your belly's rising. What hopefully should be happening is that your pelvic floor is also very slightly lowering. So it's always moving in response to your breathing. And I'm then really keen to help your pelvic floor muscles to get a really good amount of movement or range of movement, as physios say, knowing that it's okay and it's safe to let go because there's no threat of pain. 
We might then start off with some gentle desensitisation touching by the person herself on the outside of the vagina, maybe then encourage her partner to do it if she has a partner, or we may actually do it in physio sessions. And so this is just called desensitisation touch. And then it might progress on to a finger slide, but with lots of lube and no pain, just complete comfort so that, again, we're not keeping that fear of pain, anticipation, muscles contract, you know, in a protective way, uh, then causing more pain. And so really what's happening is the pelvic floor muscles are just gradually learning to accommodate to movement over them and maybe a little bit of pressure on them that is not painful. So it's just so important for me to say that treatment shouldn't be painful. We might then go on to use trainers, uh, which are like um, small uh, cylinders, the first one's sort of the size of your little finger, and then, you know, gradually progressing in size, or even using vibrating trainers. And often in the literature, these are called dilators. So if you've been reading a lot online, you, you might have seen them termed dilators, but um, trainers, I think, is a better term because you're training the muscles to, uh, you know, to accommodate and to release. But, you know, it's just really important that nothing's painful at all. And so once the pelvic floor muscles gradually learn to release, then you'll have more comfort if you're wanting receptive sex. Um, and, of course, then the, the next progression is onto not only it's not painful, but, you know, as I said before, it's pleasurable. Janetta also says if you end up seeing a pelvic floor physiotherapist, make sure you also see a sex therapist or psychologist at the same time. It's really important to get that two-prong approach. Vaginismus is one of those conditions that's deeply linked to shame. Shame can even make it worse. And even though it's hard to, it can be really isolating if we don't talk about it. It's totally normal, very common, and it can help to find other people going through it. Leah Tassios had vaginismus, but overcame it with pelvic therapy treatment. When a friend opened up about her own vaginismus, Leah realised it was more common than she thought and designed an app to help inform people about the condition, a kind of one-stop vaginismus shop called Gina. So I was um, diagnosed with vaginismus in 2017. Um, I began experiencing pain during sex with my partner at the time, and it was you know, really hard to get an accurate diagnosis, um, like Rose, your caller said earlier, um, and to be able to find help. So I was, you know, feeling incredibly alone um, and, and really quite depressed. However, I was able to um, overcome vaginismus through physiotherapy, um, which was really great. And I was actually really fortunate to be able to do that because um, treatment can be quite expensive as well. So um, when a friend kind of opened up to me about her diagnosis, I realised that not a lot had really changed in the last couple of years in terms of support for vaginismus. So that's why I created Gina. What is Gina and how does it work exactly? Yeah, so Gina is an app um, that's designed to support people on their own journey with vaginismus. It contains information on a wide range of topics. So anything from how to prepare for your first physiotherapy appointment or pelvic floor examination, and then, you know, how to find a sex therapist. It also contains um, conversation starters. 
So sometimes it can be really difficult and kind of awkward to have those conversations with your partner or a friend or even your GP. Um, And I also thought it was really important as well to be able to have resources out there from people who have actually experienced vaginismus. I think it's really powerful to be able to relate to someone and to be able to share your experience with another person. When it comes to the the conversation about vaginismus and and bringing it, making making it more of a thing, like what do you think needs to change in the way that we we talk about this condition? Yeah, I think the most important message at the moment is that you're not alone. Uh, this condition is extremely common, as you said, one in ten people with a vagina. I actually think it probably could be higher, just because you know not a lot of people are talking about it, um, and diagnosis with the GP can be really tricky. And the other message is that vaginismus is treatable. So you know, you can overcome this. Um, I'm, I'm a success story. Um, there are plenty of other people out there who've been able to overcome it too. So it's just about being able to connect with each other and learn from each other, I guess. What did it feel like when you did manage to, to overcome it? Like what sorts of, was it kind of instant or did it take some time? And yeah, how, how did it feel for you? Um, what hope can we sort of put out there for people going through something similar? Yeah, I think um, each person's journey is is different. I had vaginismus for about 10 months and it was really difficult um, at the start to be able to find help and treatment. Um, but then I got onto a really great um, pelvic floor physiotherapist and I also started seeing a sex therapist. So that really helped me um, be able to overcome the condition. For a lot of people, it really depends. I know there's been people who I've connected with over the app who've had vaginismus for for 22 years. So it really just Mm. um, in being able to kind of find the right support and, and treatment for you. So how do you have sex without penetration though? Easy, literally any other way. If you're a long-time hookup listener, you know that intercourse is not the main course. It's just one dish on the very big sex menu. I think that if the pelvic floor muscles are overactive because they go around the anus as well as around the vagina and the urethra, you know, I I think that anal sex is probably still going to be uncomfortable, but that doesn't mean it's off the menu permanently. So, you know, it's the same thing once these muscles have stopped um, responding with this involuntary contraction for, you know, whatever reason it's happening, then um, there's no reason that anal sex, you know, then can't also be comfortable. Um, but I'd probably be suggesting, you know, if you do have pain with, with receptive sex at the moment, that just enjoying oral sex, external stimulation, um, you know, is going to be uh, much better so that at the moment you can, you know, enjoy pleasure Uh, and enjoy intimacy and not avoid it because then, you know, you're more likely to get aroused and that's all then going to help really well for breaking that cycle. Mm, Right. uh, I just had a thought. If the anus then is connected to the pelvic floor and this whole system, like can you get like anal, can you get this kind of clenching or shutting down in, in the anus? Like is that a thing? Yeah, well, actually, it is, and it's called anismus. But, you know, we most often see that, and it's really only been studied because 
if you think about the muscles going around the anus, you know, they've got to be able to work to give good sensation and also to stay closed, but they've also got to be able to release. So actually the time that, um, you know, I would mostly see anismus as a clinician is um, in people who have difficulty doing a poo. Wow. And uh, and I'm, I'm sorry to say that, uh, you know, that's where it's mostly been studied, but it hasn't really been studied, you know, in relation to difficulties with anal sex. Okay, so let's just put that out there to any researchers listening to this podcast. Hi, let's get some more info on anismus, okay? As a partner, vaginismus might be confusing and frustrating, but it doesn't have to be. Janetta says knowledge is key. So, you know, understanding anatomy, understanding that, you know, the person with vaginismus, you know, it's not in their mind. It is a, it is a physical condition. Um, of course, it's effect, it can be affected by, you know, the way that they think about things or fear or the fear of pain, of course. But, um, you know, to, to, to uh, get that education, to support them if they are going to medical or physio appointments, um, you know, some people who have vaginismus like partners to come along with them. Some would prefer to go on their own, but even to offer to, to you know, to go along to appointments and to not put pressure on them. You know, that there's no, you know, there are so many other things that we can do on the, the menu of intimacy, as I call it. There are so many other things that we can do. There's no pressure. Um, and, you know, how can I help? rather than just tell me when you're fixed and uh, then we can start again. So I hope that helps. A lot of the time, vaginismus is a bodily reaction to your feelings and anxieties, and it doesn't have to be forever. But the first step is talking about it and getting help. I hope that set you on the path. Seriously, whip out your phone, go see your GP now. And if you have any other sex, love or relationship issues you need help with, you can always get in touch. On Instagram, DM us at Triple J The Hookup and email thehookup at abc.net.au. We'll catch you next time.